You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, You don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. From Vineyard Theater in New York City, This is Theater Uncorked, where vineyard artists come together to talk about the process of bringing new works to the stage. I'm your host, Eric Pargach. For episode four, we welcome two-time Pulitzer Prize finalist Gina Gianfrido in conversation with director Peter Dubois. The New York premiere of Can You Forgive Her is Gina's second play here at the Vineyard. Her last play to be produced here was After Ashley with Anna Paquin and Kieran Calkin. She was named a Pulitzer Prize finalist twice, once for her play Becky Shaw and then again for Rapture Blister Burn. Her play U.S. Drag has been produced twice in New York City. Gina has received multiple other awards and recognitions, including an Obie Award, a Guggenheim Fellowship, the Susan Smith Blackburn Prize, an Outer Critics Circle Award, the Helen Merrill Award for Emerging Playwrights, and an American Theatre Critics Association Steinberg Citation. She has written for many television dramas, including Law and Order, Cold Case, and House of Cards. Gina is joined by Peter Dubois, the director of the Vineyard's production of Can You Forgive Her, and the artistic director of the Huntington Theatre Company in Boston, which won the 2013 Regional Theatre Tony Award. His directing credits there include Sunday in the Park with George, A Little Night Music, and the world premieres of Can You Forgive Her and Stephen Karam's Sons of the Prophet, which he went on to direct at the Roundabout here in New York City. The play was later named a Pulitzer Prize finalist. His West End and London credits include All New People, Sex with Strangers, and two of Gina's plays, Becky Shaw and Rapture Blister Burn, which he also directed in New York. Other New York credits include Modern Terrorism, Lips Together, Teeth Apart, Richard III with Peter Dinklage, and Jack Goes Boating with Philip Seymour Hoffman. We are excited the two could join us to discuss their long history of working together and this production of Can You Forgive Her? 
which they refer to as this play throughout the podcast since we caught them during previews. This is Gina Gianfrido and Peter Dubois in Theater Uncorked at the Vineyard. All right. <laughs> Are you texting okay. your sitter? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so should I start? Yeah, sure. Uh, so Gina and I met in graduate school at Brown. And I guess that would have been 1990. It was around because you directed my thesis in the spring of 97. Right. Okay. So, so I think been... we met around 95, 96. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, the, 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 the project that Gina is referring to is her play U.S. is her play U.S. drag. Um, that's that. That was, that was the it. final thesis yeah. project, right? So uh, it was great. It was in this small black box, and and there was a, a character in it that got um, mugged, and as a result of a mugging, she was missing an eyeball and and or had a terrible eye uh, injury, and um, a cast and uh, all of this kind of damage that had been done to her. And I thought it was uh, extremely funny. <laughs> and so I think there was this kind of common shared dark darkness that yes. that we felt, you know, kindred spirits uh, kind of thing. And, and, um, and the more extreme that actress kind of le- leaned into the pain and horror of her experience of the mugging, the funnier and funnier it became. Mm-hmm. And... Suddenly, that dynamic between really strong, dramatic writing and something very darkly comic happening um, formed. Yes, and we were we were. I was a student of that was Paula Vogel's program at at Brown, and I think the uh, the people who like dark comedy are really drawn to Paula. I know I was, and I think Peter as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think the Baltimore Waltz was a big. Had a big effect yes. on me. That was a that that was the play that that drew me to Paula and drew me to Brown. Yeah, yeah, and I would say the same thing. Funnily enough, uh, that it was Baltimore Waltz that that really made me want to be at Brown and study with Paula and uh, and just the darkness and the absurdity of the notion that people could be out there catching AIDS from toilet seats. I just thought was the most amazingly um, precise. Uh, kind of comic point of view on our historical moment. Well, my my memory is that it was the one comedy the one comic AIDS play. Yeah. And and I remember Paula saying that you know that the play did have, you know, every once in a while somebody walking out or somebody who was terribly offended. But um it it really was um a play that made a big impact on me just because the comedy was so jarring and arresting. Yeah. And it 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 took a different point of view on the AIDS crisis than any other play I'd seen. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think um I think really going into it I I feel and and of course we're here at the vineyard where I first saw Baltimore or where I first saw how I learned to drive mm-hmm. um and uh where of course Nikki Silver also right. uh, has a home. And I feel like Nikki, at least for me as a director, he's had a huge impact on me. I remember directing Fat Men and Skirts in Prague in 1993. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
so I I know there's there's these writers like Chris Durang and and Nikki and Paula that I feel like I've learned a lot of my stagecraft from and I and I feel I bring that's part of what I may you know bring to the table I think in our in our relationship yeah I I mean I, I think Peter and I had some of the same idols you know Nikki N- Nikki Silver's play pterodactyls was really important to me and all of Chris Durang's work as well yeah and Paula yeah yeah and then also um I think we we share a love of uh of sort of things things English uh, and and specifically I think 19th century English literature is something that mm-hmm. has had an impact on on both of us and and how strangely dark it is mm-hmm. without being particularly self-aware of its own darkness I think the next play we did together we did Becky Shaw in Louisville for the exactly. Humana Festival Exactly. And that was the Humana production, I think, was 10 years ago, potentially. I think it's a little more. Is it I think it might now? be a little more. Okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> we're coming up uh, soon on the 10th anniversary of the New York premiere, which mm-hmm. was probably a year or a year and a half after Louisville. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Both in Becky Shaw and Rapture and in this play, there's a, a very strong mother figure at the center of the story. And um, in Becky, mom, while she has MS, is very capable and has a lover who's in his 30s and is incredibly capable with the sharpness of the advice that she gives. And in, in Rapture, the mom is someone who's a bit more frail and and perhaps a a bit kinder and gentler about how she approaches the world. But the characters dealing with a similar issue as the central character in this play, um, in Can You Forgive Her, uh, which is the imminent loss of of uh, she was working with the or she was challenged by the imminent loss of her mother, but. In this play, his mom has already passed away, and she's really represented by these boxes of writing. So it's kind of amazing to go from a mother figure who's alive and at the center of this character's life to one who has died and now left this uh, character with a huge uh, hole to fill. We had a great time doing it in Louisville. We did. We'd, like, finish rehearsal, do you remember, and we'd get steaks and whiskeys after each rehearsal so we we basically spent our fee at that weird mall that's covered with glass right in that steakhouse and then i was i was running a theater in alaska after that while gina was starting to work on law and order mm-hmm. is that right in providence I, yeah, yeah. I, right after i moved back here yeah yeah so we were separated um and then it was really uh it was really Becky that brought us back together and Gina sent me the script and I remember just dying uh, with how, not only how funny I found it, but how much I wanted to just be in a room all night with these characters. Like that was really kind of amazing. So we we did a reading of it uh, in New York and then um, it was Mark Masterson selected it for the Humana Festival. Um, and then we just had kind of this incredible experience down there. 
you know, putting the play together. I, re- I remember going into previews uh, and Gina cut a scene that was like right at the end of the play. And they, you know, we had that moment with two of our actors where, you know, it's a scene they loved, but we didn't need the scene. So they were awesome about it, I remember. Um, and uh, it's it's also where I, I feel like I learned uh, a lot about certain rules of comedy and I feel like with Gina's plays especially and with any play that's a comedy that's got real power to it the drama has to get directed before the comedy does so the yeah. the the the, yeah. the stakes of the drama have to be there and I, I I remember the artistic director when we were doing Becky saying oh my god it was funnier at the read through than it is now and I was like no no it'll be funny again and I was just kind of hoping it would be. And then, of course, the minute the actors get in front of the audience and turn the performance out, the comedy returns. But it's really where I learned that if you don't give it a substructure that has stakes and mm-hmm. people wanting something, and like that's where a lot of the comedy comes from. But then they have to live, they have to live inside the top of the comedy. You know, they have to get out of the basement of the drama and move up. And right. start focusing on the 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 technical skill of the comedy and, and but yeah, so. but I think I think what we learned is you you do have to spend some time in that basement. Yeah, um, that the characters have to and Becky Shaw at least the the characters have to go to their darker places to, um, you know, Andrew's kind of perverse interest in. Um, women in extremity and women in jeopardy to you know Becky's you know deep masochism and manipulativeness um we had to kind of go explore all of that to get to the you know the comedy can can come later but once the once the actors have found the the dark places in the heart yeah yeah i think they've got to touch the dark places before they can uh find the comedy in the dark places Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I find when we go into rehearsal with uh, the rehearsal draft, it's really solid, mm-hmm. and that when we're when we uh, make when when there's changes that Gina makes in response to what's happening in the room, uh, that those changes are are like minor but significant, if that makes sense. That right. they're real changes, um, but but they're always with purpose and significance and. Even the editing process is very much about, okay, you know, it's like it, the the structure of the scenes may become lean, but there there can be a point when you pull, if you pull out one thread too many, mm-hmm. the whole thing just falls apart. And I think that that's part of the process is figuring out which threads have to be there and. Right what we can let go of. And sometimes things are providing texture that become really important and we realize, oh my God, that's missing and that's part of keeping an energy in the room. Once we get into the preview process, I I don't want there to be any big changes. 
I'm not the kind of writer who likes to rewrite during previews or um, be, you know, introducing new scenes. This is the second production of, of this play. It's a great blessing to get another shot because there's information you only gain from having the play in front of an audience. Yeah, um, I agree. So you have this whole, you have all this information you get in the production uh, that then what do you do with it unless there's another right. production to apply it to? Right. I think that's absolutely true. And and I think that um, just given the time pressures that are placed on um, uh, productions to begin with, that having a second production is absolutely, as you say, a blessing because you learn so much from that first time around. And uh, it's just so great to be able to apply the lessons learned to this production. It's always wild, too, how you watch the news parallel your rehearsal process and, you know, how dark things are, you know, in the news and not just politically, but all kinds of weird stuff has been happening in the Mm. world, you know, and so a lot of, you know, just strange criminal activity happening while we're rehearsing the right. play. <laughs> I think, though, with this play, I think that, you know, you have a main character who you don't have to dig too deeply to get to her dark material. Yeah. Um, she's She's got it. She's got it on the surface, and she's not afraid to bring it out. Um, so... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. It's at the ready. It's at it's it's at the ready. When you look at the body of work that the vineyard has done, it it the plays tend to appeal to me because I find the vineyard is not not terribly hung up or interested in um whether or not the characters are liked by the audience totally. and, or and endorsed by the audience. Um I just, you know, I I I love the um having just seen Kid Victory the the incredible gray areas of, of, of what that relationship was. Obviously, it was a very destructive one, ultimately. But, um, you know, like how I learned to drive, you know, you have the sexual abuser is, is not a completely evil character. Um, yeah. And, you know, the protagonist of pterodactyls can be kind of a jerk. You know, it's you don't yeah. have to, um, you don't... I, I, I have felt the pressure in other theaters to... Um, to make sure the audience connects, make sure the audience cares for the characters, and and they're not. I don't think the audience always needs to care for the characters. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. And I think often if you let go of the pressure to make the audience care about the characters, they actually wind up caring about the characters. Right. They're not. You know, I mean, had had Gina ever taken any of the bite off of the character of Max and Becky, it takes away the fun of the evening, you know? And, and, you know, even though that note would come up about Max being likable, it was like, ah, <laughs> trust me, people are going to love going around, along on that ride with him. Uh, well, that was that was our big shock in Louisville. Now that, yeah. <clears throat> now that you mentioned it, was we, we, kept, we kept thinking, oh, you know, he's too mean, he's too mean, the audience is not going to like him, he's too mean. And then I remember turning to Peter when we watched the play with an audience for the first time, and the audience was hanging on his every word. And I, I turned to Peter and I said, they're going to be really upset when he doesn't get the girl. Yeah. And indeed, that was the last thing we'd ever expected, but it, it was th- that was how it panned out. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's wonderful to work here. Um, you know, it, 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 I feel very supported, but not micromanaged. I feel like, um, you know, the vineyard hired a director and they put their trust in him and there's not a lot of, um, of, of hovering and second guessing. And that's, that's a wonderful thing to, to be able to work without feeling like you're, you're under supervision or you're, you know, have someone listening at the door to make sure you're working hard enough. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's a wonderful place to work. Yeah, I feel the same way. I feel, uh, I mean, right before we were recording this, we were out talking with Doug and he said, oh, do you want me to watch the run through tonight or tomorrow? You know, and just that the fact that he's so understanding of the actor's process and the tech process and everything, uh, you know, and the fact that you have a producer asking which run through makes the most sense to go to, like, that's just really refreshing. And we have actors who have, you know, everyone has a personal life and and uh, time is money in the theater, but it's really refreshing to be somewhere where, you know, that isn't necessarily privileged um, time, you know, the, 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 the costs of dealing with the fact that someone might have a newborn or someone might have an audition or people have lives. And there's a real awareness here, I feel like, uh, that people have lives and and um, and there's a real kind of humanity to how Doug and Sarah approach the the work as leaders of the theater so by kind of taking care of the company and focusing on what they think is the best thing for the show at the same time they're really creating I think a very human environment to work in mm. I think it's great well that's it for theater uncorked at the vineyard Theater Uncorked is produced and edited by me, Eric Pargotch, Vineyard Theater's Director of Communications and New Media, with help from the Vineyard's Associate Producer, Ali Sky Bennett, and Marketing Director, Melissa Pelkey. Thanks to the Vineyard's Artistic Directors, Douglas Abel and Sarah Stern, and our Managing Director, Suzanne Appel, along with the entire Vineyard staff. If you enjoyed this episode, do us a favor and rate and review us on iTunes. It helps spread the word. And last but not least, thanks to you for listening to Theater Uncorked at the Vineyard. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.